Our reading today is from Mark 16, 1 through 8, and Matthew 28, 16 to 20. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word, which is pure, uh, which is uh, a word that reads us as much as we read it. Father, I pray that your spirit would be welcomed amongst us, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive this word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, help me to preach clearly, concisely, and truthfully this word, that we would hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are at the uh, very con- end, the conclusion of our series on the Gospel of Mark, which we began back in Easter. So it's uh, very exciting uh, to be here. One of my uh, desires in, in my first year uh, plus of uh, pastoring here was to make sure that we went through a, a gospel, because I really want the story, the life, the person of Jesus to be the foundation of who we are and, and where we go and how we think about things. And so I wanted to spend our first year soaking in the message of who Jesus is, why he came, what he accomplished. And so uh, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Um, as we come to the last chapter of Mark, we come to the, the resurrection. And we actually started with this text back in Easter. We preached uh, Mark 16, and I talked uh, about the idea of the the resurrection is meant to wake us up to a new reality, wake us up to the world where he is risen, and the way that we were committing ourselves to staying awake to that news was then to go through the gospel of Mark, but I want to come back to that idea of being awakened. Are we awakened to the reality of the resurrection? Let me give you a, 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 a story to kind of explain what I think being awakened means. Uh, 
I'm going to tell you about my second job. Someday I will tell you about my first job, but not today. My second job, I was a, a cashier at Sam's Club, and I really loved the job. I worked all through college uh, being a cashier. It was a very, uh, very good job. I made uh, the kind of money I needed at that time of my life, and I got to meet people, and, and uh, it, it was great. I was very content. And then in May of 2004, I got my degree in mechanical engineering. And this is probably wrong. This is probably, the, uh, the, uh, I mean, it indicates a, a bad heart. But once I went to work the next day, suddenly, after I had that degree, it's like, I'm supposed to be somewhere else. I need to be doing something else now. Sam's Club was no longer where uh, I felt that I was supposed to put my energy. And so with the, the, the giving of that degree, the day before, it really wasn't, it wasn't uh, in my head that there was something else for me to be doing. But once I had the degree, I had really, I guess, what you call a paradigm shift. What I understood about my life and what I was supposed to be doing with my time had changed because of the event of graduation. I, that, that is what being awakened to the resurrection is supposed to be. We are no longer in a world that is governed by death. We are no longer in a world that the story is you only live once. We are in a world with a story that there is a power and a person who overcomes death and sin. We are in a world that now we know the gospel. And so if we recognize the resurrection, we should be people who do not treat the gospel as tangential to our lives, but instead are people who have the gospel center in our lives. That is what the resurrection means to do. And that's my question for you. Where is the gospel in your life? A tangent is something that's at the, at the perimeter. It's something that lives at the margin. It's good news. We, we believe it. We, we, we uh, appreciate it. We don't have uh, any question about it. We live in a culture that very much makes the gospel normal, at least here in the South. But there is a difference between being gospel tangential and being gospel-centered. Which describes you? Is the gospel good news that you have, or is the gospel the good news that makes you who you are? If we believe in the resurrection, if we grasp the resurrection, we must have a paradigm shift of being gospel tangential to being gospel-centered. We have seen in Mark that there have been two questions that, that really propel his story. One, who, who is Jesus? Who is this person, Jesus, that has come? And when we answer that question, the second question is, what does it mean to believe in him? The resurrection gives us the definitive answer to both questions. Mark is, ends his gospel in such a way that he wants to push these questions, who is Jesus and what does it mean to believe in his gospel, right into your lap. They are the questions that you have to answer, not the characters in the book, but, who, but, but you personally, who is Jesus to you and what does it mean to believe in him? 
The question that Mark ends with is, have you accepted the message of the resurrection for your life? And so as, this, as we look at this uh, reality, we're going to look at these two post-resurrection scenes that are going to show us what it means to be gospel-centered. Now, as we get to that place, there is a, a, a little bit of a sidebar we have to deal with. We read a little bit from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and then we read uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Perhaps you have looked at the end of, of the Gospel of Mark and have noticed that after verse 8, there is this, this comment that describes the following verses as not being uh, contained in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. So that creates a bit of a question. Well, what, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? We dealt with this uh, on our Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. So uh, uh, for some of you, you've probably been waiting for me to, to finish the conversation. So what do we do with the end of Mark? I want to say a couple things. First of all, the, the note about the earliest manuscripts do not include uh, Mark 16, 9 through 20 um, is true. Uh, the, the longer ending of Mark is likely not original to Mark. Mark is probably not the one who wrote those words. Uh, the best idea is that those words were, were written by a faithful uh, Christian uh, in the second century or so who was trying to kind of finish off what seemed to be a, a, a gospel that didn't have quite the, the same conclusion that uh, Matthew, Luke, and, and John have. So what, what do we, so, so when we look at verses 9 through 20, is that something that should bother us? Is that something that should shake us about the reliability of our Bible? I want to make this very clear right now. Absolutely not. The reason that we know that verses 9 through 20 are not original is because we have so many manuscripts, so much evidence of the Gospel of Mark and really of all of the Bible that we are able to know very accurately and very confidently what is truly Mark's words and what are not. So with the brackets, in fact, give us great confidence that Mark 1-1 to 16-8 are Mark's gospel. They are the word of God. We have such an abundance of evidence that we are able to know what, is, uh, what Mark wrote versus what, is, what uh, Mark did not write. And that is, uh, for us, a great confidence in Mark's gospel. So then what do we do? There are, are really two, two theories about what to do with Mark's ending. The first is to accept that Mark ended his gospel at verse 8. And the second is to uh, uh, contend that some part of Mark's gospel, that Mark uh, wrote past verse 8, but, but that that part of his gospel was lost. Uh, either because it, uh, it got torn off or one of Mark's kids dropped Kool-Aid on it or something like that. Who knows what happened? So, what do we do? Well, I split the difference. I took uh, option one as my preferred option that Mark really means to end his gospel at verse 8 by going back to the beginning at Easter. Because I believe that, that Mark has done something to push these questions into our lap, to tell us we need to walk with Jesus. And so I believe Mark 16.8 is, is left unfinished because it's, it's upon the reader to finish the story by putting the gospel into their life. So that's, that's really what I believe is, is the, uh, the most likely. However, I still have more to preach. So 
We're going to today move over to the Gospel of Matthew after verse 8 because if Mark had lost part of his Gospel, it's very likely that Matthew shows us what that ending would look like since Matthew and Mark have been very close in what they reported up to this point. So, option one is the sermon series that we have just completed. You can go back to Easter. Option two we'll deal with today by looking at Matthew as our conclusion. Regardless, the question remains the same. Mark and Matthew pose the question, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? And as we look at that, these, these two scenes, we're going to see that to be gospel-centered means to live in and to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first part, that we live in the good news of Jesus Christ as we look at Mark 16, 1 through 8. We live in the good news of Jesus Christ. Our paradigm has shifted. Our reality has changed because the women have gone to the tomb that Jesus was buried in, and they have found that tomb empty. What do we have to grasp about the good news? We have to grasp at least three items. First, that the good news is news. When we talk about the resurrection, when we talk about being a Christian, we are talking about a faith that is based on real news. Look at verses 6 and 7, what the angel reports to the women. Jesus of Nazareth, a known person who was crucified, a known death. He is risen. See the place where they laid him, a known tomb, which is now empty. And you will see him, many known appearances. You see, the good news is a report it is a it is a event that has happened and has been reported. When we talk about the good news as a Christian, we are not talking about a philosophy for the good life. We're not talking about a mantra. We're not talking about a teaching. When we talk about the good news, it's do you believe in the report that he who was crucified has been ra- has been raised alive 3 days later. The good news is news. I think that's an awesome truth. That's an awesome reality because I came to Christianity from a very skeptical path. In college, I got to this place where I thought, you know what? I'm not so sure that I believe all the stuff that my parents told me. I'm not not so sure that getting up on Sunday morning and going to church is, is really what life is all about. And so... Because the good news is news, it's something that I could investigate. It is something that I could take my questions to and and assert them and listen and deal with them. The, The story of the resurrection is something that if you are skeptical, if you have questions about whether Christianity is true, God made sure that his true faith is grounded in historical facts. Jesus known, Jesus died, Jesus' empty tomb, Jesus seen alive. These facts point to the historical reality that Jesus is risen. That means that when we deal with the gospel, we are dealing with a truth claim, not an opinion. It's not how do I feel about this ultimately, but whether or not it's true. 
And because God did it in history, he invites you to explore, to seek, to come to an understanding of this gospel news. It's okay to have questions. But the questions need to lead you to investigate, to explore, and to learn what God says he has done in history. And you must be honest. If the facts point to the truth that Jesus died and rose again, then you must deal with the, good, with the gospel at a very personal level. So we see that the first thing is the good news is news. Second, I want us to recognize the good news is good. The good news is good. By the resurrection, we know that Jesus is the Christ. By the resurrection, we know that Jesus is the Son. By the resurrection, we know that Jesus is the Savior. All of these things are proven because the tomb was left empty. The verdict that he was a blasphemer is overturned. The truth that his death counted in our place is shown by the fact that death could not hold him. He is, because he is the resurrected one, the one with all authority, as Matthew 28, 16 says, or 28, yes, 17 says. Because he rose again, we know that his death was not for his sins. Because he rose again, we know that his death was the ransom for many. Because he died, our sins have been paid for. That is what it means when we have a resurrected Lord. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says this, Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Raised for our justification. It's because he was raised that we know his, his death counted for us. What he has told us is true. Do you recognize that the resurrection puts all of the questions about what is the true faith in a decisive light? Which faith has at its foundation the news that the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life is the one, the only one, who rose bodily from the dead. I say you consider all faiths that have that much truth in them. If you, if you have another faith that presents a Christ that is as compelling and as vindicated by God as that, then you have an alternative. But there is only one faith. There is only one way. There is only one truth in life because there is only one who has been resurrected. But the good news is good. Our sins have been paid by Christ's death. Now, third, the good news is reality. This is the difference between a gospel tangential life and a gospel-centered life, is recognizing that the resurrection alters our reality. You see, when the angel shows up and disturbs deeply the women who are coming to the tomb, their reality is forever changed. They are coming dealing with the death of Jesus. They are coming with the reality of death. Death 
has taken yet another. Death has yet won again. And yet when they meet the angel at the tomb, they are confronted with a new reality. The reality that he who was crucified, he is risen. They have come into a reality of life. And that new reality brings them into trembling and astonishment. It, it, it shakes them into a new existence. It's, it's like the baby born from the mother's womb that immediately begins to cry and wail because what has happened? The women are trembling and astonished because the reality that they had become accustomed to and were prepared for has been radically flipped over. The message of death has been overturned by the message of life. The word astonishment that that Mark uses of the women's reaction is the same word that he uses in uh, chapter 5, verse 42, where we're told this. After uh, Jesus comes in and raises Jairus' daughter back to life, we are told this. Immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they, Jairus and the mother, the disciples, immediately were overcome with amazement. Amazement and astonishment are the same Greek word. So let me ask you, what does the word amazement mean for Jairus and his reality? His daughter who was dead is now alive. Every meal, every day after that, he experiences the new reality of my daughter who was dead is alive. His astonishment is his birth into a new reality. One that shapes and defines every day. He lives in the reality that my daughter has been raised. And so the women, when we are told that they are in astonishment, we are told that they are now living in a new reality that doesn't make sense. It's so new and radical that they live in astonishment. If we recognize the resurrection like Jairus recognized the resurrection of his daughter, then this has to be true. The good news is not a compartment in your life. It is your reality. It's not something that is uh, in your life. It becomes your life. It is what you live in. Think about the picture of, back in the Old Testament, of Noah and the ark. Noah has been told there is a great flood coming. Go build a big boat in the middle of the desert. And he builds this big boat because judgment is coming. And when the flood does come, he and seven of his family get in the boat. Their reality is that boat. Their reality is living in the boat. The boat is what saved them. What it means to be saved is to live in the boat. Because those who lived outside of the boat 
continued in the message of death and were destroyed. Faith is getting in the ark. When we say believing in the good news is living in the good news, we are simply saying that faith is getting in the ark. Faith is living in the ark. Because Jesus' death and resurrection is a greater ark that saves from the ultimate judgment. There is not a, a smaller step. You step into Christ just as Noah stepped into the ark to be saved from the judgment. Peter makes this point clear in his first letter, chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. He said, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying in the, in the image of baptism that, that that is our declaration that we are trusting in Jesus as our ark. It is our, it is our pledge of faith. And the reason that he is our ark is because he is the resurrected Lord. Jesus is the ark that we get in. When we talk about faith then, it can't be something that's tangential. It has to be something that centers us, that is our center. What we are told when we recognize the message of the resurrection, that in Jesus there is life. He is the only one who has gone into the grave and has come back alive again. He is the only source of life in the face of death. In Jesus is life. In Jesus is life, just like in the ark is life. But the same truth must also be understood. Outside of Jesus is outside the ark, and that is death. That is death. Jesus has created the reality that in him is life, outside of him is death, that is what we mean when we say living in the good news of Jesus. Because only in him is life. And if only in him is life, what else are you living for? What else are you living in if the only fountain of life is Christ? Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 in Mark says, A beautiful thing. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. You see the good news, and Peter. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Peter has, has forsaken his Lord. Peter has walked away in grief and trembling, knowing that he has blown it, knowing that he has disqualified himself from any consideration in the kingdom of God. But here is the good news, that the risen Jesus calls Peter. I want you back in my fold. I have died and risen for you, a gross sinner, a gross failure. 
When we say we live in the good news of Jesus Christ, we are saying this. Jesus Christ has offered life to sinners and failures and rebels. To the Peters who have denied him. You are offered life. It's free. Just meet him. Come to him. Trust in him. And you have life. Christ gives life. And it's because Christ gives life that we live in the good news of Jesus Christ. Second, we also live out the good news of Jesus Christ. And here is where we finish with Jesus' words in Matthew. We know that after, uh, from, from Mark's gospel, that the disciples go to Galilee. Matthew reports what happens in Galilee. They meet Jesus. I want to ask you something as we look at this second scene, as we look at Matthew's verses 28, 16 to 20. Where's the crowd? Where's the crowd? We've gone through the gospel of Mark, and we have seen that there have been the opponents, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests, and we've seen the disciples. And then we've also always seen this group of people in the middle, just the crowd, the crowd that is following Jesus around. If you look at Mark 16 and Matthew 28, you see Jesus comes to the disciples. He calls his disciples to make disciples. The crowd has disappeared. It's about whether or not you are a disciple that matters. Jesus in the Great Commission does not recognize a believer that isn't a disciple. That's important. Because the understanding that Jesus has for who are his people, he calls one name and one name only. He calls them disciples. Disciples are followers. Disciples are gospel-centered, not gospel-tangential. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply this. He is a person who lives in and lives out the good news of Jesus. So when we talk about living out the good news of Jesus, I want to note something very important. First of all, living out is not how we get in to the gospel. Okay? When we talk about living out, we're going to talk about uh, uh, different things that disciples do. And if you have a particular mindset, you could say, well, okay, if I do this and this and this, then I'm, I'm saved. That is not the logic. The logic goes the other way. Those who live in the gospel live out the gospel through their obedience. We do not get in the gospel by living out the commandments of Jesus. We come into the gospel by receiving Jesus' death and resurrection for ourselves. Living out is not how we get in. It's how we live with Jesus. Look at those beautiful last words in the the gospel of Matthew. And lo, I will be with you always till the end of the age. That is why we live out the good news, because Living out the good news is being with him. It's being 
together. It's enjoying his presence. It's experiencing his power. I will be with you. What greater joy could there be than the knowledge that living in and living out the good news has as its very great reward, Jesus with you. Now, tomorrow, to the end of the age, Jesus with you. I mean, when we are told in Mark 16, Jesus is alive, he will meet you in Galilee. How quickly do you want to get to Galilee? How urgently do you want to be in Galilee? Can you imagine some of the disciples being like, well, I've got tickets, so I'm going to have to make my appointment tomorrow. The one who loves you, who died for you, and has risen again says, I want to meet with you in Galilee. If the gospel lives in your heart, if you live in the good news, then that is where you go as fast as you can because you want to be with him. And that's the promise of the Great Commission. Those who live out the good news, I will be with you. This is the dividing line between those who see the gospel as useful, it gets me out of hell, versus those who see the gospel as beautiful. It draws me close to Jesus. So what does it mean to be living out the good news of Jesus Christ? Jesus gives three commands for his disciples before he leaves. There are the three commands are this for living out the good news. We go and share him. We gather around him, and we grow to become like him. Let us look at each of these briefly in turn. First, Jesus leaves with the command, "Go and make disciples." We are to be going and sharing him. Here's the fact of whether or not the good news is good news to you. Do you share it? Do you want other people to know it? Now, I know many of us might say, well, I'm not an evangelist. That's just, that's just not my thing. I'm on Facebook. And you know what I'm doing on Facebook all the time? I am sharing every shred of good news in my life. I am putting it out there. Look, I'm on vacation. Look, I had a great dinner. Look, I'm hanging out with friends. Look at what movie I saw. Every single one of us is an evangelist. We are sharing the good news in our life. Facebook denies the falsity that I'm not an evangelist. You're sharing good news all the time. Now, if you are living in the good news, if you see Jesus' death as your death and Jesus' life as your life, then you will obey this commandment with great joy. Go and make disciples. What happened in Mark chapter 5 when the demoniac was cured of the legion of demons? We are told this in Mark 5.21 or 5.19. Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And then we are told that he goes home and he tells everybody in the Decapolis, I once was 
was imprisoned by demons, but now I am free. I am now in my right mind. That is the message of the good news for us. We were once in bondage to sin, but now we are set free. Now you may say, but you know what? Everyone around me believes. I don't need to talk about the gospel. Everyone around me believes. Everybody I talk to says, I'm I'm in church. I, I believe in Jesus. But if what we really mean is not gospel tangential, but gospel centered, people who truly live in and live out the good news, let me ask you something. How many neighbors will not have their car leave their garage today? Who will tell you? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. How come every day of the week to drive three miles is 25 minutes except Sunday morning? Where's all the congestion if all of our neighbors are just as eager to be in church as you are? I'm telling you, what Jesus told to his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35 is for us. Jesus says, do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You are surrounded by people who do not know the message of living in and living out the good news. They have been sold a back pocket gospel, a get out of hell free card, but not a true gospel that changes their life, that makes a reality that Jesus is risen. You have people and neighbors who need that message. Second, we live out the gospel by gathering around him. When Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is talking about bringing all of these disciples into community. The message of baptism is that you are not your own, and you are not to be alone. You are not your own, and you should not be alone as a Christian. Baptism is a visible sign that you belong to Christ's people that you gather around him. And if you are part of Christ's people, you should be seen in Christ's people. You should be gathered around Christ's people. When the gospel goes out at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus or Peter preaches the sermon, and we are told this in verse 41 and 42, those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, those who were just baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you see that baptism brought them into Jesus and into community? They they have been gathered around him. That's that's the, the testimony that every Sunday morning we give to the world. Jesus' resurrection has gathered us into a people where we testify that our world is not this world. Our home is not this home. Our Lord is Jesus. And so gathering, being vigilant about being part of a community 
of believers is essential to living out the good news of Jesus Christ. It's for that reason that the author of Hebrews says these words in verse, chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Those who are living out the good news are gathered together. When Hebrews says that our job, part of our job when we're gathered together is to stir up, it's, it's that our Christian walk, our faithfulness, is not going to thrive alone, separated and apart. The idea of a church, in, in some ways, is, is like a fire. If you take a fire and you pull out one of those embers, one of those burning red coals, and you set it just six inches away from the fire, what happens to that ember that is separated from the fire? It fades. It loses its heat. It dies away. But what happens when you take that ember and you put it back into the pile of coals? It gets red hot. Two things are are communicated there. When we fail to gather together, we are causing ourselves spiritual harm. And when we are not gathered together, when we choose not to come together, we are denying our heat to the body. The body is less warm and vibrant without you. And you are certainly in great danger apart from the church. Third, we grow to be like him. We've seen that living out involves going and sharing. Living out means gathering around him. And third, we must recognize it means to be growing like him. That's that's the foundation of these words, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Disciples are not perfect. We, We don't believe in Disciples being perfect. They are never described as anything more in the Great Commission than learners, followers, apprentices of Jesus. We don't wait till we're perfect to come together in church. We recognize that we're all on the way of an infinite journey. We are all learners. But if we are learners, then we are doing something. We are, we are seeking to grow and to know Jesus better. I, I love back in, in Mark chapter 9, when the disciples had failed miserably with the man and his boy with the, with the demon. They failed. I mean, it was, it was a total embarrassment. And yet, we see the true heart of a disciple come out in verse 28. When they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You see, the disciples were not perfect. We've gone through the Gospel of Mark. They have failed again and again and again. But they came back to Jesus to learn all that he has commanded them and to be more faithful as disciples. That is the command of discipleship. And because of that, they grow to be more like him. 
And I think there's a challenge also for us today as we consider whether we are gospel tangential or gospel centered. Are you growing? Are you learning? Are you Jesus' apprentice, putting into practice what he is teaching us? Are you finding yourself more prepared and more capable for greater tasks and greater calls to obedience and faithfulness? Or are you kind of on a treadmill in the same place? Again, the author of Hebrews writes sobering words for us to consider as we live out the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now we're all on that scale somewhere. We're all on the pursuit of solid food. But are you pursuing growth? Are you pursuing to be more and more like him by knowing him more and more? That is part of It's an essential part of living out the good news. So in conclusion, Mark puts two questions in front of us. Who is Jesus? What's your answer? Is Jesus the risen one? If he is the risen one, then he is the one with all authority. He is the one who has taken away your sins. He is the one... Who is your life? Do you live in the good news of Jesus risen? And what is it? And do you believe in the gospel? That's the second question that Mark has. Do you believe in the gospel? You will live out what you live in. Are you living out the good news of Jesus? Paul summarizes the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel message. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is raised and you will be saved. Living in and living out the good news of Jesus Christ is our purpose at River Community Church. Our mission, our purpose statement is we help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus. Live in and live out is Lilo. Do you Lilo the good news of Jesus? Because we all have a part in making Jesus real amongst us, and we all have a part of making Jesus visible in the world around us. Do you Lilo? Amen.